Brian Sumner. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Be seated. And I wanted to remind them, yeah, make sure those, those things are anonymous. But, guys, the reason we do that is some of you come here and there's just this one thought or this one um, thing hopefully I can help with that you need to hear or to see in the Word that will give you the breakthrough. So let's pray, you guys. God, you are so good. And, Lord, we don't even have to ask, have you done a work in this house, in this church? God, you have been at work for decades and Lord, we just pray for more of that increase, um, even those who maybe came reluctantly, those who think, oh, this guy's going to say stuff and my wife's going to kick my foot or roll her eyes, or maybe as the man I brought here to understand that terrible word, submission. God, we pray for grace and mercy. We pray that we would see we are your servants and you are the one who shapes us. And Lord, that tonight there is freedom in this house. As we unpack these sessions, God, if there's questions that need to be asked, um, if there's repentance, forgiveness, wherever you want us to go, Lord, let us be attentive um, to climb that tree like Zacchaeus did, to, to look to you. Let us be active in our faith tonight. And Lord, I pray you anoint me to preach, teach, and share. We thank you, God, that you are amazing. You loved us so much. You sent Jesus. And it's his name we pray and say, amen. Well, guys, just thank you for having me. Do you know this is the church I have been to the most in all the years of ministry? What is it, like like five or six times now, right? I mean, this is the place that, I don't be known to some of these guys, I say this to pastors and the team, but when I was a skateboarder beginning to get out and live and become a Christian, like figuring out who I was, just a few years in, they'd invited me and not to skate not to talk about my story and all the rest, but they felt like the Lord just put you on our heart. Would you come out and share? And coming to Canada to a church you'd never met, to a big church you'd never met, amen? Yes, there's ketchup chips here, so it was a plus. But coming here for a few days to preach so much, that was scary. But I say that to say God positions certain people in my life, and I, I do bless this church and the ministry for that. I believe that that encouraged me to step out in that role, amen? So the Bible says, give honor where honors due. I honor you, the pastors, the staff. I pray for you. But I think personally as a dad, the greatest honor I can give is how? Is that most years my oldest son comes with me. But now he's 19 and he's had three or four jobs and he's got a girlfriend. So he's kind of busy. So the first trip my middle-aged kid, Eden, who's 12, could come on is on this trip. So guys, thank you for welcoming me for knowing that I can bring my daughter and that I know she's hanging out with the kids and tomorrow on the flight home, she'll have known this church blessed us. They encouraged us. They expressed the love of God. So with that, if you have your Bibles, just, just go over to Matthew 19 for me. And as, I'll get into our story in a moment, but as I began to share on marriage, coming somewhere like here, many of you are younger some of you are single, engaged, some of you are even separated. But as I speak about marriage, how can I enter any arena and speak about marriage? Are you married? Are you even divorced? Is life upside down? Do you love your marriage? Can you not stand your marriage? I mean, where are you? Well, wherever you are in the midst of this, can I tell you that if we were to summarize the Bible, what is the Bible? Yes, it's about Jesus. Yes, it's about you and I. But it's a story of marriage. Genesis begins with a 
marriage. Revelation ends with a marriage. And if you've heard me preach before, I say it often. The Bible is the story of a king called Jesus who came to slay a serpent. What's his name? Satan to redeem his bride, the church. The Bible is the story of a king coming to slay Satan to redeem his bride, you and I. So wherever you are, in whatever situation, we're going to unpack today this story of marriage. And for those of you who may be new, haven't heard my story, I don't know if we have an, an image up here maybe to put up, an image when I was just a few years lo- younger. What's so funny about that? People always laugh at this. It saves me going deep into my story, but guys, I am 19 there. For some reason, my hair appears to be red. I don't know what happened. But at this time, I was a professional skateboarder. At this time, I'd known this woman for a few years, and she was two years older than me when we met. I had braces and a bowl-cut haircut, and I looked funny, and I was way younger than her, it seemed. But just four months before this, as I'd come back to America, I looked a bit more like a man, amen? And we fell madly in love. We fell madly in love, and you may have heard me say this, but I fell in love with this woman, the way she looked, the way she made me feel, all the things she did for me. So it was the best kind of love we could have, but ultimately, who was I loving? Myself. I was loving what she was doing for me. She was loving the way I was spoiling her and pursuing her. But in this picture, let's be real. I went into this situation absolutely committed to this marriage. I went into this situation. We'd only been together for four months. It's crazy. Amen? Her mom's Italian. Her dad's Mexican. I've got English, Irish, Scottish. You put all those mixtures together, it is not going to be good. Amen? But what happened was we drove out to Vegas. We didn't tell anyone in our family. Two of our friends knew. I couldn't even drive at the time. How is that? Never learned to drive because I came to America so early in my life. But at this time, she drove us out to Vegas. We got married after four months. And that night was amazing. We felt love. It was great. I said, I'm committed to this woman. Soon we were pregnant. I was making great money going around the world. Many of you have heard my story, but how did it end? Within two or three years, without understanding God, his grace, if I would have been sitting here today, I would have walked out and said, I don't need your help about marriage. I have love for this woman. I'm committed to this woman. But within two or three years, we were fighting like crazy, hating each other, saying the D word, divorced. And soon I was divorced. I was angry. I was hurt. I was wrestling with all these things. And you remember what I said. God, I'm going to prove that you're not real. Because if I can prove there's no God, life was falling apart, I really didn't want to live. That's crazy, amen? The guy standing before you today who never thought he'd be sharing any of this was living in such a way that he loved this woman, had a kid, was making great money. But before long, I was divorced and even suicidal. And by the grace of God, as I began to unpack the scriptures and challenge what happened, is Jesus Christ showed up and saved me in 2004, amen? Got a hold of my heart. I told the Lord that day, God, here's my skating, here's my life, I'll get baptized, Lord, if it's your will, I'll get remarried to that woman. Not because she was so crazy, but we both were so crazy, amen? And here's what happened. The presence of the Lord showed up that night, convicted me, I came to faith, 
I was baptized within a few weeks. She came to faith in three weeks' time, amen. And we were remarried in about three or so months' time, and now we have a 19-year-old. Like I said, our 12-year-old is here, and our crazy youngest son, Jude Mike, is at home playing with his new lizard. This is our life, amen. I say all that because of this. Even on the plane, I was sharing with a lady, a Muslim lady, who had this amazing conversation. But as I began to unpack this story, she was newly married. She said, wait a minute. You're saying God restored your marriage. You're saying the girl sitting next to you, yes, this is the miracle part of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And can I tell you something? Since coming to faith all those years ago, we haven't had one fight. And life's been easy. We agree on everything. Our kids go to bed at the exactly the right time. Amen? In fact, when you come to faith, if you're married, there's a tree that grows outside your window. And as the branch enters the window, it drops money in there. It drops Bible verses in there. Life is easy. Amen? No. Since we came to faith, our marriage became the central focus. Why? Yes, it's a great story. But as I came to faith amidst a skate career, God began to lead me where? Into his word. We had got divorced. It hurt. I said, I'm never going to have kids again. I hated life. I don't want to get divorced ever again. I don't like the idea of not being able to have more children, but God did a work. And I say all that to say this. As we came to faith, we had to dig into the Bible. We heard all the sermons we could. We got all the books we could. There were so many things that was happening in our life. And why? Because we wrote the book on how not to be married but we had to read the book, what is it, the Bible, amen, about how to have a good marriage. And here's where it gets crazy, is as we were coming to faith, as this was happening, people would ask questions. Wait, what did God do? What happened in your life? What's your story? Believers and none. And as we would sit with couples and talk with them, be crazy things began to come to the surface. People would just casually say this, Christians in, Amer in America, my dad was a pastor, grandpa was a pastor, you know, we were raised in the church, and we got married young, and, you know, we, we have a faith, and we've got the children in the house, but, you know, we just think God missed it. We just think God's releasing us from marriage. We just think God has other plans for us, and sister so-and-so, who was getting too Pentecostal that day, says the Lord has released you, and, you know, we just think this isn't of God. And I'm not saying that to condemn or to judge. I'm saying that to say, is that biblical? Is it biblical? Not if you're divorced. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about people. I'm just saying theologically, is that Bible? Sitting with people I loved and who loved me who just said, you know, I wish our marriage could be restored. I wish life could be so good. Guys, we have a great marriage, but it isn't always good. We have a godly marriage, but it isn't always perfect. Amen? God's always doing a work, and I'm trying to help us to see our perspective. But why I say, is that godly? Well, here's why. Jesus said things, and we know the things he said, but do we listen and walk in faith in them? And here's what I mean. You know the verse. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they what? Follow me. People can hear his voice and not following him. Sitting with me, they were saying, we think God's done with it. Well, you know what happened with Jesus when he was tempted by the serpent? What did he say? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but what? By the very word of God. As they were sitting with me, I'm saying, no, 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 you're hearing his voice, but guys, are you following him? Are you living by the word of God? There's a reason the Bible says God's word is a what? Lamp unto our feet. Am I walking in my marriage in the darkness, or am I walking in the light? Because here's the reality. If you go to the middle of America today, 
And people begin to vote and they say, what religion are you? Many will take the box Christian. I'm not saying, are you Christian? I'm saying, do you want to follow Jesus? Guys, here's why. This is the Bible. This is God's word. This speaks. Amen. But I can open this all day. I can see the translation. I can see the print. I can believe it. But if I don't trust in it and walk in it, it really doesn't matter. It's alive regardless whether it sits in a bookshelf somewhere or it's alive in my life only when I take this to life. And why do I say this? Because as couples would sit me, they'd say, what do you think we should do? And I'd give them one verse to start. This would be casually drinking Starbucks or sitting at their house or just out skating and someone say, well, what should I do? Well, have you ever thought about this force? Who Who God brings together that no man what? Yeah, 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 but didn't you hear what I just said? Yeah, but what about this? Who God brings together, let no man what? Separate. Well, we know that, but what about Matthew 19, 6? Who God brings together, let no man what? Separate. Brian, what am I saying? I'm saying the reason they wanted to separate, the reason I separated, the reason some of you are at your end's wit, the reason God is even putting this thing on, thank you, church, for hosting, is because what? Marriage is tough. Can I just release us from that, guys? Marriage is tough. Your job is tough. Life is tough. Getting up early is tough. Life is beautiful. I love seeing the snow. It's fun hanging out with you, but life is tough. When my wife, my wife says to me, babe, you're crazy, she doesn't say it anymore. You know why? Because you know what I tell her? You're the crazy one. You married me twice. <laughs> the best marriage advice I ever heard, you know what it was? Would you marry yourself? If you think you would, you got more issues than you know, Amen. I know what's inside of me, but if I look at my wife and gauge her righteousness on what she does, I'm missing it. I'm saying this to say, and I kind of lead in with these thoughts to break us down, but even calling the book never fails. The idea that love never fails. We were going to call it death by marriage. And think about it. We say it and we laugh, and some of you young kids are saying, oh, man, you guys are saying marriage is so crazy. No, I'm saying Christianity is crazy. It's not death by marriage, it's death by the cross. The Bible says, less of me, more of him. I must decrease, he must increase. Amen? I've been walking around living as a single person for years, understanding all my issues, and I'm probably not really accountable or judging them. Now I marry someone they brought to the forefront. God is beginning to do a work in me. Do you get where I'm going? We have a picture of marriage. Does it really come from the Bible? And do we really stand on this idea? You see, your marriage is a graduation from singleness where now God says, okay, I'm going to put you with this person. The iron's going to begin to sharpen the iron. Some things are going to expose. Do you know it? Right there at the altar, we're so excited, and you should be. Look how she looks. All those people are there. It's loving and great. And a few months in, they're like, oh, man, this is tough. Good. Because God is doing a work. Well, they said this, and I'm thinking that. Good, because God is doing a work. Amen? Leonard Ravenhill used to say, you knew something about a man that was leaving a city carrying a cross. You knew that he wasn't coming back. That's what marriage is. God is inviting us into the greatest covenant with any human. And why am I saying all this? Because if we're honest, and I love what Pastor Mark said a few weeks ago, He said probably the greatest evangelist in the world is Satan. He's constantly evangelizing people with the wrong news, with the bad news. He's constantly selling us an idea. 
the things my daughter's watching is giving her an idea of marriage, what it should be. You and I came into marriage with an idea. They should look like this. They should think like this. They should make this much money. We should probably leave here. In fact, our sex life should be like this. But here's the thing, guys. Are we God? The Bible says lean not on your own understanding. Am I saying don't go in expecting for the best? Christians should have the best marriage. Amen? But what I'm saying is we need to go in saying, Lord, shape me because all the junk I've brought in from maybe every Disney film or all the movies I've watched or everyone's advice or all the songs telling you what marriage is, Lord, I need to let that go. They asked Billy Graham's wife and says, do you ever think about divorcing Billy? And do you know what she said? She said, no, but I think about what? Killing him every day. (laughs) If Billy Graham's wife can say that, Amen? I'm setting us up to say, guys, if we come in with this mindset, we're going to be the center. Guys, I'm not kidding. These are things I read coming to faith and began to realize, and here's why. If you're beginning to take notes, here's the important thing. Your marriage is one of two options. Even if it's the right option, you're going to sway towards the other. It's the way it is. Your marriage is either going to be contractual or covenantal. Your marriage is either viewed as a contract, and most of the time you're going to live this contractual marriage keeping tabs. What is a contract? Well, you paint the room back there, you're going to get paid. You hand me that Starbucks, I'm going to pay. You do the garden, you're going to get paid. Contract, that's how we live. We're saying if you're nice, I'll be nice. If you're loving, I'll be loving. If you're kind, I'll be kind. But if you're not, I'm probably going to be bitter. And guys, I know it hurts. Even if you're sinful, maybe I'll become sinful, but that's not the call of the Christian. I'm not to live contractually watching what my wife does. I'm meant to watch. I'm meant to help cover and lead and speak the word of God and all those things. But I'm saying if my marriage is based on a contract, she's dictating my pace and I'm dictating her. And that's not the word of God. That's not why we have the spirit of God. Amen. Or we live how? And you know this. Covenantally. Covenant says, regardless of what you do, I'm going to do my part. Covenant says, and we see this in the Lord, though we were born in sin, I am sending Jesus to save you. Covenant says, I will be your God. You will be my people. And the church said, amen. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Your marriage is this walk with Christ. I'm saying this to say, that funny looking kid in that photo a moment ago, I went into it swinging in love, saying, God, I didn't know who the Lord was. Even though the guy read the Bible, I said, this sounds good. But I went in that saying, I'm committed. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do all the right things. But my idea of marriage was contractual. And so what happened? It fell apart. My marriage fell apart. I didn't honor the covenant. The Bible says in Proverbs 2.17, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Malachi 2.14 says, It is because the Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. You've heard this, I'm sure, many times while sitting under the preaching here, but I loved my wife in that photograph. I loved her like everything else I loved, only more so. And if I was to ask you today to be interactive, I mean, what are some of the things you Canadians love? Anyone? Hockey, those big horse moose looking things, amen? What else do you guys love? 
Tim Hortons, now we got some confession right here. I love Tim Hortons too. We say we love so many things, and I do. I love skateboarding. I love martial arts. I love jujitsu. I mean, I love my wife. I love being here. I love hanging out with you guys, and I love God. And if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you know where I'm going with this. We say the word love like it means everything, and it doesn't. Do I possibly love God the same way you loved Tim Hortons? Hopefully not, amen. We love God more. But as you get into the languages, the Greek, you see there's different kinds of love. There's a brotherly love. There's a family kind of love. There's an erotic kind of love. But God doesn't call me to love my wife with that kind of love. The kind of love we're called to love is the what? Agape love. This kind of love that you see throughout the pages of Scripture that for 300 years the early church lived while it was persecuted. The most challenging time for the church today, you know when it is? It's today. 250 million Christians are persecuted around the world. One in 12 die year, I mean, die daily. How crazy is that? Because they sacrificially love. The point is, do I love my wife this way? Do I have this sacrificial love? Because God says in Romans 5 and 8 that God demonstrates his own what? Love, his agape for you. That while you were yet still sinners, Christ what? Died for us. Jesus in John 13, 34 says, Brian, church, husbands, wives, a new command I give to you. I want you to agape, love one another the way what? He's loved us. Did I love my Tracy in that photo that way? No. Did I love her unconditionally? Oh, yes. As long as she kept my what? Conditions. I didn't know how to love. Listen, you got to get this. If I love you my best, it isn't going to work. If she loves me my best, I've got to learn to love God's way. Letting the word speak, childlike faith. Guys, it's one thing to have childlike faith, but another thing to be childish. I'm called to be spiritually mature. I trust you, Lord. Well, the word of God says this. That's all I need to hear. How much less anxiety, stress, depression, chaos, if we just said it's written. I mean, that will preach every service. Amen. But did I really love her this way? And see, if you live this life, some of you might be going through hard marriages. Well, verbally, this is going on. Even physically at times, there's not trust. There's not this. There's not that. Guys, you're only going to feel like a doormat if you, if you remain the center of your marriage. And that's not what God has called you to do. I'm saying if it's getting out of control, let people know. Have someone step in. Even at times the police are called. God will do a work and all those things. Some men, some women need to hear. Too much is too much at times. Amen. I've seen every kind of redemption. But what I'm saying is if your marriage is about glorifying God, and I'm, I'm going to unpack a lot of this other stuff in the second session, but I'm trying to say this for you to see that this agape love is the only way. Even in the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word that I believe brings this together more and more. And you find it in that book, Song of Songs. You heard that book. What does that mean? It's the most romantic. It's a poetic book. It's supposed to be a play about this story of love. And when we say holy of holies, what are we saying? The holiest. When we say king of kings or lord of lords, it's the highest of the high. And so in this book, this Song of Songs book, we hear this word, ahava. And what does it mean? I'm saying this because these kind of things ring true around my head daily. Am I living and loving contractually or covenantally? Am I walking in agape love? I don't have it all figured out, but I hope some of this sticks with you. Amen? But in this book, we see a young woman thinking of a young man. And she's saying these things you don't want to hear your daughter saying. She's saying, let him kiss me on the lips. And she's having this passion. And she's sitting around with her friends, texting photos, saying, isn't he cute? 
and he begins to pursue her. By the way, I'm joking. I'm not trying to be a heretic. Amen. But what he does is begin to pursue her. But what do we hear over and over and over in Song of Songs? Song of Songs 2-7, you know what it says? And it's repeated up throughout. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Do not arouse this ahava kind of love until it so desires. What does it mean? It means don't have these thoughts, these passions, and go any further. I'm not going to go there with this, but don't go any further until you're committed. Don't go any further because the ahava kind of love is the love that God puts on you every day. It's the kind of love that says, Brian, you are a knucklehead, and here you are preaching, thinking you have it figured out, and in just a week's time, I'm going to show you something else I'm going to work on. I'm going to be like, really, God is going to like put that love on Tracy. Daily, we want the grace and mercy, amen, but what he's saying is, Brian, don't chase this young maiden until you're going to put this kind of love on. What love? The love where I'm willing to die to self, the love that's sacrificial, the love that says, I'm willing to go to the cross for this woman. I mean, this is the reality. Every day there's grace. Every day there's mercy for me. Every day there's ahava. Well, every day I've got to look at Tracy and say, I have grace for her. I have mercy for her. Why? Because marriage is this journey of us being shaped into whose image? Christ's image. Every day is us being led to look more and more like Christ. I mean, when we stand at an altar, what do we say? Till death do we part through thick and thin, in sickness and in health. And C.S. Lewis used to write about this. When we say this word, I do, are we deceiving ourselves or someone else or our spouse? It's not about the day you said I do, amen? It's about getting to the final day and saying what? We did. We want to get there and we want to see dead. And why am I saying this? Because I believe you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, if I just get that person to go, and they get radically struck by the Lord, and I hope that happens. If that person could go back to who they were when we first met, if they could just be more biblical, then you know what? I would be better, and I would be more biblical. I get it. We need to work in step, but what I'm saying is I'm asking some of us today, am I loving even my spouse in that contractual way, saying, well, I'm the guy traveling and preaching. What's my wife doing? Or she's saying, well, he's off preaching and traveling, but I'm at home doing this. Are you sitting here saying, I don't know if this person's my soulmate. Here's what I think we should be doing and why. Well, I want to unpack some of this. I told you to go to Matthew 19 at the start, and here's why. Because in this passage, we find the verse where Jesus says, who God brings together, let no man separate. I'm going to read from this and lay a foundation that, guys, this should give you the encouragement that leads us in a little bit later into the second session. Matthew 19 and 3, and of course, Jesus is being harassed by the scribes and Pharisees, as was normally his day. And it says this. It says, some Pharisees in verse 3 came to him to test him. And they said, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and what? Every reason. Is it lawful for me to separate for whatever reason? The girl I met at Starbucks, the girl on the plane, someone else in ministry, whatever life may be. I don't like the way she's acting. I don't like the way her body's changed. I don't like whatever it is. Is it lawful for any reason? You fill in the blank, whatever is greener, where the grass is ripe. And I love what Jesus said. What's the first thing he says? Haven't you uh, read? Haven't you read? You might have heard it said, don't go to the th phone, go to the uh, throne. 
Don't go to the phone. Go to the throne. Haven't you read? Don't you know? And he says, at the beginning, the creator made the male and female and said, and this is God, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. When we were married, she took my last name. We wear a ring signifying eternity together. And also when there's a a special union there, there's a shedding of blood. I won't go there for some of the kids in the room. But Jesus says this, and look what he says in verse 6. They're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, who God has brought together, let no man separate. And I love that they asked this, because this is what I would have asked. I'm devil's advocate. I would have said, well, wait a minute, Jesus. Why then, Jesus, we could say. Why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her what? Away. And what did Jesus say? Jesus replies, who permitted it? Moses. Just think about it. He says, Moses allowed this, guys. Church, Brian. He allowed this to happen because your hearts were what? We always miss this. God didn't say this was best, but Moses allowed it, guys, because their hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Do you see how clearly and with how much power he speaks? Guys, Moses allowed it because they were getting crazy. They were chasing this. They wanted concubines everywhere. There was all kind of pagans showed up. God allowed it because there was hardness of heart. And he says, verse 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Notice he said, though, it was not this way from the beginning, meaning it was Moses that permitted, and what was the reason? This is going to be the central focus of the rest of your marriage going on because their hearts were what? Guys, as Christians, the Bible tells me to guard my heart. I have to guard my eyes from what I see, my ears from what I hear, but I have to guard my heart. We're so good with our gym memberships or our businesses or this idea that money never sleeps, working out so many areas of our life. But you know, they took a, a test in America and they said it's estimated that for most people in America, only eight minutes a day is giving to any kind of faith. We spend hours providing and we should. We have so many times a leisure. But here the reality is, Do I really live a life with the aim of guarding my heart so it isn't a heart towards my wife? Because here's the reality. If I'm a believer, when I became a Christian, the Bible says all passed away and all things became what? New. The spirit that raised Jesus is now in me. In fact, the prophecy from Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give Brian or you or whoever is listening a new heart, a new spirit. He says, I will take from you the heart of stone and a heart of flesh. Moses was saying, guys, you don't have the spirit yet. And so when it gets so hard, you know what? You want to bail. But guys, as Christians, not what Moses wanted, but what God wanted is to you to know, understand, and to trust in who the spirits work in your marriage and believe for that person and to be willing to go through those things. Am I preaching to anyone right now? Either in my marriage, my heart will get hard towards my wife. And just because we're remarried and we're not going to get divorced, God is good. But I could be living in the craziest marriage. I could be resenting my life, resenting my spouse, resenting so many things. You don't know what's in my heart. But you do know you've got a guard for a hardness of heart. we got a guard for living in a nation where everything's free and it's what we want. All our choices, everything the way we want. And even what he says later, look at this, and I'll speak to this for a moment. He says the only reason is for sexual what? 
immorality. Guys, the book that's written out there, it's written because three friends of mine, that's what they faced, men and women. I'll tell you something amazing. When someone goes through this where there's infidelity and a struggle, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, a great, great friend of mine today, I got a message years ago. Hey, Brian, and this is through Facebook. I mean, it wasn't even an Instagram, I don't think, at the time. Hey, Brian, my husband just came home, and he came home to me, and I was hanging out with his friend, and nothing had happened yet, but it was about to, but it's happened prior. But could you come over and talk with us? He had left to go to work, came back for something. Someone was there. My friend's big. He's got all these tattoos, got guns in the house. He ran upstairs, and he came down literally with a gun and thought in his head, if I shoot this person, I'm pretty much gone too. Can you meet with us right away? Yes, I can. Where did we meet? Starbucks. I pulled up to Starbucks, and as I'm walking over, what do you say? What does Pastor Ron, Pastor Mark, what does anyone say? And as I walked up there, I got this, like, laugh in my spirit. And it was like the Lord said, ask him if he forgives her. I walked up there, and he slouched in his seat, and his over here just hurt, and she has these giant Jackie O glasses on, didn't even want to look, felt terrible. And I said, do you forgive her? And he said, I do. And it was like the Lord was saying, and I want you to know this, you can forgive everyone, but you will never forgive anyone greater than forgiving a spouse. The greatest forgiveness is what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. I'll forgive you for whatever you do to me. But for me to forgive my wife, it's a different kind of forgiveness. And I asked her, are you repentant? I am. It has gotten to this point. It has gotten crazy. We'll unpack some of this in the second session, how people arrived there. But is there forgiveness? It's been at least five or six years. I am around them all the time. Their marriage is thriving. There is a real repentance. She has fled from the things she was doing her whole life. Some of those people, I believe, don't even know the Lord, and the Lord gets a hold of them. Why am I saying that? Because God was doing a work. You might have gone through something, found something emotionally. It's there physically, guys. When a person is really in the Lord and they really get a conviction from God, he will renew the whole thing. Some of you might not need to hear that today. Can we just give it up for him for a moment? I know it's tough. I know it's crazy. I know all kinds of anxiety and neuroticism and paranoia, but God will deal with those things. And year after year after year, those things get better. And again... If you view your marriage as about giving the Lord glory, I always tell people, forgive and get through it because even where else you go, it could be just as crazy. He says this, but you know what Jesus said right there? And remember, first session, I want to give you a foundation so you can forget all that I say, but you will remember what God's Word says every time you read it. Amen? Jesus said, no, no, no. Moses was saying this, but it was not that way from when? The beginning. When is the beginning, you guys? The book of what? Genesis. Go over to Genesis 2 in your Bibles. We're going to lay this foundation. This is the stuff I was reading first, coming to faith, saying, wait a minute, Lord, what does this mean? What's the story of Genesis? It's that God began to create and speak, and he made this and he made that, and Lord, you made all these amazing things, and for you artists and musicians and everyone out there, you know the first place God chose to reveal himself in Genesis, how he chose to do it? As a creator, as an artist, as a craftsman. He could have said, God is salvation. No, it said God began to. And what did God say? Everything he made, the Bible says, he saw that it was what? Good. Every single thing God saw that was good. And we see that. But you know why Genesis is radical? It's because even before there was sin, 
even before one thing had died, one ounce of blood had been shed. The Bible actually records, and you might not have seen this, in Genesis 2 and 18, it says, but there was one thing that was what? Not good. Everything's good, but there's one thing that's not good. And I say, well, God, what's not good? What's not good? And the Bible says it was not good that man is what? Guys, is God, is man alone in this passage? I mean, he's the least alone you can be. I mean, the whole goal of our life and the cross and thousands of years of prophecy and the Hebrew nation and all the work going on today, it's so that we won't be alone without God. Adam is right there with God. Every time he asks God a question, you know what kind of advice he gets? Godly advice. Amen? Here he is asking, and God is blessing and ministering, but God says, no, no, no. There's one thing that's not good. It's not good that man is what? Alone. Ladies, you have to get that Adam was made perfect in God's image, and even in his perfection, someone was missing. Someone was missing, and that someone is you, especially the young women. You don't need to be defined by what you see in the magazines and the videos and what someone is speaking of you. You need to know that man is alone without his Eve. Amen? And so what does God do? It gets crazy. God says, it's not good that Adam is alone. I'm going to make a suitable helper for him. And so what did God begin to do? He created these giraffes and all these animals and these rats and these pigs and these snakes. And hopefully none of you feel like they resemble your spouse in any way. Amen? Let go of that today. But the Bible says, thankfully, there was no suitable helper found for Adam. And all the men said, amen. And so what did God do? God knew that man was alone. And so the Bible says in Genesis 2.21, and the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. This is a weird trance. God took the man and put him out. And he was in a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with the flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And this is a Hebrew word for cell structure. He took from Adam to craft Eve. He had taken her out from man, and he brought her to the man. Intro, you wife. Here's the woman, ladies, listen to me. Let me just speak this over you. She is wonderfully and purposely and fearfully made by an on-purpose God with a purpose to be used for a purpose. Amen. Why do I say that? Because women aren't told that. If you buy the newest Cosmopolitan, I'll tell you, for years, for years, the top left corner, you know what it's about? So many sex. It's always about sex. 365 ways to blow his mind, to do this, to do that. Da, 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 da. What if it just said one way to be a godly wife? One way to be a godly mother. What if Oprah had people come on who said, ladies, do you know who you are? It's almost looked down in culture, and I get it, because his kingdom is not of this world. We are aliens living here. But can you imagine if my baby girl, who's 12, hanging out with your daughters and sons in the other room, really got who she was? He put him into a deep sleep, brought the woman out. And here's why I say this. How many women did God bring to Adam? One. Man, there's only one woman that's a standard of beauty for you. When you met her at 19, when she's 70, when she's 100, however she looks, she's the standard of beauty. And I say this because I love this church family. I know they love me. But if all of you are praying for me, Daily and fasting, do you know that there's one person who's greater for all, than all of you outside of Jesus to be praying for me? Who is it? It's my wife. 
God brought one woman to Adam. God brought one woman to me. And while I'm married to that woman, she's a standard of beauty. If a woman understood the mystique and the power that she has made in the image of God, if our chat shows and magazines and videos, and listen, this is going to sound crazy, but I see so much of what's on TV. You'll see certain kinds of videos, and the, the newest singer with millions and millions of views is dancing around a pole, showing her rear end off, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. What is that speaking to my daughter? She doesn't see that stuff. What is it speaking to culture? Woman was made with a purpose that no man can ever fulfill, and woman was set apart for the man. And men, if you're looking for a wife, get out the way. Let God just put you in a trance, seek first the kingdom, and when it's time, he's going to bring a woman to you. Amen? So many people go down to an altar, and guys, pray for that. Bless me with a spouse, bless me with a spouse. No, no, no. You need to pray that you're going to be a blessing to a spouse. Amen? Pray that you're going to be someone that elevates someone else's life as you learn to die to self. And so we see this. You see, it's easy to fall in love at 20, at 30, my wife and I, the things he went through. But if I can't love her like she's 60, when she's got a head full of gray, when her body's sagging, or when all of my hair's gone and my teeth are coming out, or I'm stumbling over my words, she says, babe, get out the pulpit. You were saying crazy stuff in there. If we can't love each other then, is it really love? Is it really love? Some of you who are young, you need to practice patience and understand, not that it's my wisdom, but I've lived through this to see. And what are we seeing? This is the picture of two becoming what? One. Why do I say this? Because I follow statistics. Statistics about three years ago said that for millennials entering 2020, which is next year, they said they estimate almost 80% will be willing to walk out of their marriage for no reason. I see my son's generation. They're just flipping cars, in and out of houses, going here, going there, chasing everything. There's no commitment. The generation above 50, 60, you guys were committed. It was one and done. My generation, it's getting a bit looser, but the generation below, they're saying they don't know what commitment is. This idea of just bailing for the sake of it, it's so radical. Why am I saying all of this and I keep saying this to myself? It's because we need to practice commitment. We need to live covenant. You need to come in here today for somebody to say, you know what, Lord, I want to see you show off in my life. If I'm honest, I don't pray nearly enough to say, God, bless me, lead me, direct me. Not for me, but God, show off in my life. I'm like, bless that church. Do things for them. I'm like, Lord, show off in my marriage. Show off in my life. For some of you, this is a call of battle tonight to pray for that spouse who isn't here, to get at the feet of Jesus the way Mary did. The one thing was needed to worship him. And so we see all this going on. And what do we see of Adam? What does Adam do? Adam's life was changed once and for all because one woman. And here in the Bible, we see the first recorded poem or if you're into rap, maybe the first recorded rap. Are you ready? And no, please don't put any beats on. Genesis 2, 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woe man. Amen? I mean, the pig, the goat, the snake were gone. Here comes Eve. Adam's mind is blown. He begins to sing. There's maybe a rap going on, but look what it says. And you've got to see this. She was taken out of man. She was already part of him. All God did was took her out, reshaped her, and brought her back where? To under his arm, where she belongs. Just like some of you are sitting here. That's her place. And here's the amazing thing. Men want that woman that they can die for. And women want just that man that will die for them. I don't care what you say. 
where there's hate, love, where children are broken, where people face things. That's why they run around doing all these things. Yes, we have a sin nature. Yes, Satan is real. But ideally, when you speak like this, every woman says, I want that man that will die for me. And every man says, man, I just want that marriage to fight for. God showed up in the garden and said, Adam, here's a load of animals. Name them. He says, I'm in. I'll name them. But Eve was over there making all these things pretty and flowers and roses and doing all the stuff that maybe men don't care about. No offense if you're a gardener or nothing. Amen? I'm saying this to say both these roles are defined, and I hope this is a lot of Bible because after the first session, I want you to be able to leave and say, man, this is the confidence I have. This is the covenant that I have. We see this, and so what does God do? God created a helper for Adam. She is his soulmate. She's his best friend. So many times we have friends of the same sex. They're my best friend. I get it. But my best friend is meant to be who? Jesus and my spouse. That's the person. Not the world's idea. Have all the friends you need. And why do I say this? Because in Genesis, we see the picture of marriage. The Bible says the New Testament is the mystery of God revealed. So to quote Ephesians 5.31 to you, it says, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast. Not just hold, be intentional, cleft, wage war to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Guys, what's the greatest miracle of ever? It's Jesus on the cross. He died, rose again, but he transformed you and me. But what's the second to me? The second greatest thing God can do is take a man and a woman and cleave them together supernaturally where you are now called one. This is what a man's meant to do when he says in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And what I am saying is that this refers to Christ and the what? Church. My issue isn't an issue of marriage. It's an issue of God. It's an issue of faith. It's an issue of the intention of marriage. I am not saying your marriage should suffer. I am not saying it shouldn't be the best. It should be the most romantic. It should be the most passionate. You should be all the physical you need to be. There should be blessings and all the rest of it. But I love the saying that if you seek God, you'll find me there. If you seek God and both spouses are seeking Him, they will meet each other before of God. I'm why? And I'll, I'll close the first session with a couple of thoughts. Because I'm an outward processor as an evangelist and I'm posting and I'm quoting and I'm doing stuff wherever I go, many times women I've never met will message my wife and I, hey, can I talk to you? My husband isn't following the Lord. My husband isn't doing this. My husband isn't doing that. And hearing them out will begin to engage the husband. Sometimes he'll, go to, he'll come to faith. He'll get so fired up that the woman ends up getting mad, not wanting to follow and bailing on the marriage. And I go into this now saying, listen to me, is that you want your husband sold out for the Lord, willing to follow Jesus, and you're going to come alongside him and help him, or do you just want to tell him what to do? And she says, well, what do I mean? I end most sessions when I'm sitting with couples like this. If Jesus was coming back in seven days, how would you live? Let's just ask ourselves. If you knew Jesus was returning in seven days, whether you're for the rapture or not, whether all this thing's going to be poured out, how would you live? Would money be the main focus? Would the gym be the main focus? Would painting the house be the main focus? No. I guarantee if we knew that we knew that we knew, our life would be right with God, focused on Him, only through the blood. The second thing God has called me to do is love my spouse like Christ loved the church. I tell that woman on the phone, if you want to honor God, listen to me. Let's focus on what God has told you to do. Ladies, you ready? Proverbs 31, 12. For seven days. 
This is hard to do. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. If you want to step into covenant with me, praying for your husband, look, when he gets up tomorrow, a man, he smells funny, he's mad at you, he's mad at the kids, bring him all the good you can. Speak all the life you can. If Jesus returned in seven days, you would have no problem doing this. But guys, some days come and we're in seven days' time, he's returning. Amen? I tell the women, stay focused on this, get after it. In seven days, in 14 days, in 21 days, that system will change your thinking, and you will focus on God so much it will either frustrate this guy or he's going to get shook up. Amen? Like when my wife came to faith. And for men, what do I tell them? The Bible says this in 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That means when she doesn't want to be in church, sadly. That means when she might be mad about something, when she might be doing things that you don't agree with. Greg Laurie used to say, I've been married to five women, meaning at times his wife has changed so much that even he's changed, but life changes. A new job, a new gym membership, a new outlook, whatever it may be. We need to be in the word, I get it, but the idea is men... Do I really live with my wife in an understanding way? My wife loves interior design, and while I'm away, she said, babe, and, and she comes to me with everything. Here's what I'm thinking. Can I work on this while you're away? And I'm like, Lord, yes. I'm going to bless her with it. I don't know what I'm going home to. Hopefully my wife's still at home. Amen. She will be. We talked to her today. But I had to learn. I used to want to just say, babe, do this, do this, do this. I'm naming the animals. Pastor, what color do you want to paint the wall? How long do you want me to preach? I can't love my wife that way. This is an excuse for women to say, I'm going to go do whatever I want. You don't hold me accountable. That's not what I'm saying. But husbands, live with her where she is. I came to faith trying to disprove the Bible, reading Hebrew and Greek, loving the prophecies of Daniel. My wife didn't care less for any of that until our marriage was being restored and she began to see what God was doing. Amen? Wives, do him good all the days of his life. And, and husbands live with her in an understanding way. Here's why. From the day you got married to today, nothing has changed with God. You walked up to an altar believing, willing to fight, excited to be together. Maybe it was being physical for the first time. Maybe it was moving in together. I don't know your circumstances, but God does. But God is just as much devoted tonight to your marriage than ever before. He gave his best by putting his son on the cross because, like I said, the Bible is the story of marriage. And so where do we go? I said it, that Genesis begins with a marriage, Revelation ends. This is the whole picture. But how do I want to close this first session? I want us to simply pray. And so put your notepads down for a second and listen. If you have questions, go and write them. It can be challenging things. It can be crazy stuff. I'll answer what I can with respect. Some of the questions that go in there are pretty crazy because it's anonymous and people ask that stuff the church will navigate through. But if you're here and you're a couple, I want you to pray for one another. If you're here and you're single, I want you to pray for your future spouse or maybe your spouse who's left. If you're here and you can pray with someone or not, all good, just seek the Lord. We're all married to him in that sense. But what I want to do is just practice a moment of humility and so I want to give about five minutes before we break. I think there's like a 20-minute break or so, right? Restroom, snacks, whatever you need to do. But if you're not married as a woman, pray for that future man. Lord, help me to be that wife. Show me the things of God. Show me how to be a helpmate. If you're a single man, Lord, help me to be the covering and the provider and the go to war and the die to self. Wash her in the word. Raise up my kids. 
Let's pray in a moment. But for the married couples, what I want us to do is for the men is to just hold your wife's hand. Don't pray what you think. Pray what you know is true of God about his daughter. She was to die for. She's who he went to the cross for. She's made in his image. And if you feel led to say, Lord, help me to step into this role, help me to do this, go there. And then likewise, about two and a half minutes in for the woman, you begin to pray for him. Picture them as God's son and daughter and in humility, forget what they've said, forget what they've done. Listen, guys, Satan is already waiting for you in the car tonight. His minions are already there. Everything I said just to blast each other with, no, we're going to leave this place later on humble, sending us off in a powerful time of prayer, answering some questions, amen. Let's just take a break for a, If you're single, pray for your future, you and them, and as a couple, Let's just spend some time praying, and I'll pray us into it. Let's just bow our heads. God, you're so good and faithful. You are so mighty and powerful, and your word says that Satan is as a worm. And, God, I just speak that life right now. I just want to speak gently about grace and mercy, that they're willing to forgive, they're willing to step into times of repent, they're willing to overlook and say, God, help me to walk in covenant. Help me to speak life about the spouse that came with me or who isn't even here. Help me to do them good all the days of their life and to live with them in an understanding way. And God, as we just enter this time for just a moment, I just pray for humility. Church, let's pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's five minutes. Just begin to pray together for a second. Amen, church. I'm just going to pray us into this time or at least. God, I just pray your spirit and your presence. God, I know we get hurt and the flesh wounds us, Lord. We enter these things in love, but, God, we see the worst of people, of ourselves. God, I know as a husband, as a, as a dad, just as a believer, God, I know what's in me. And I pray, God, that as you've called us to agape, to ahava, to receive from you, God, we would begin to, to pour that out. These systems, God, of seven days, of 14 days, of 20 days, these, these methods of saying, Lord, help us to walk like you, that, Lord, we know. Romans says all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But, Lord, Paul wrote that in prison amidst a crazy time. And he said, I don't consider these sufferings. And, God, life is that. There's beauty, but there's chaos, there's suffering, there's fight, there's conflict, there's tribulation. But, Lord, that in this room, that for those who follow you, they hear and they release. They're eager to lead and forgive. There's a repentant heart. And, Lord, as we just take this time to break, the humility would stay. I pray against the enemy's attacks, his deception on these marriages, on these families, God. I pray against those in the name of Jesus. The Lord, we could just sustain the next hour or so and take us into the next section and, God, see more of your glory. That peace of God, in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thanks for hanging out. We'll be back in about 20 minutes. Um, hopefully you knew that wasn't all in tongues. I am from Liverpool. But feel free, and we'll see you in just a moment. God bless.